0: We are in part seven of our sermon series called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's an eight-part series. That means next week, you guys will all graduate and become emotionally healthy adults. <laughs> if it was only that easy, right? You know, our hope has been that this series would be the spark that you need, that it would help you begin a journey of looking beneath the surface to address past wounds and unmet expectations and scripts that have been handed to you from your families of families of origin and inviting God to breathe life into your life. This series begins a journey where you're uh, peeling back layers, layers uh, of cultural and religious layers that keep you from all that God has for you. And the reason why we're doing this series is not so that we feel better about ourselves as emotionally and spiritually healthy adults. It's so that we can do what God has called us to do out of our true self through our lives in Christ. Now, today we're going to get into a topic that many of us have dealt with, are dealing with, or will deal with. And this is part of growing up emotionally, what Pete me, calls growing from emotional infants to emotional adults. Brian Jennings, in a book that he wrote, shares a story. I don't know if you guys have heard the story. It's the story of the war of the Oaken Bucket. Now, in the Middle Ages in Italy, uh, Italy was divided uh, by factions. And there weren't states as we know it. There were regions and they would fight with each other. And uh, a lot of times there was political wars. And so in the 1300s, what happens is in the town of Modena, these guys, some of the soldiers from the town of Modena would walk into the, the town of the Bolognese. And so these were two different towns in that area. And those modernese soldiers walked into the Bolognese town, and they stole from a well a bucket from a well. Now, they took this bucket back to their town, and they flaunted it and showed everyone, we stole this bucket from the Bolognese. Now, what happens is that the Bolognese are very upset by this. So they all march to Modena, and they demand that they get this bucket back. Now, the modernese, they don't give away this bucket. And so the Bolognese people, they declare war against the Modenese people. And what happens is they gather an army and they declare war, the war that is legendarily called the War of the Oaken Bucket. 30,000 Bolognese soldiers march into Modena and they have this battle. The Modenese would end up winning. 4,000 people were killed in that battle in the 1300s all over a wooden bucket. Here's the thing that we know, uh, us as human beings, we can be very fickle when it comes to disagreements, right? It's easy for us to get into conflicts in life at times. Now, you may be here and you may not be at war physically with someone, but you may be emotionally. At the very minimum, some of us have distanced ourselves from people. Some of us don't even realize that we're in conflict with people because it's so normal in the culture that we live in. It happens everywhere that we go. It happens in workplaces. Studies show that 85% of the United States workforce has made a report or complaint about conflict in the workplace. That only means that the 15% just didn't report it. All of us have probably dealt with conflict at work. It's true in our family lives as well. We all have that one family member we've had that run-in with. You can all think of that one in-law that always gets under your nerves. If you're sitting next to that in-law, just give him a little elbow. Don't do that. Just kidding. This happens everywhere. It even happens in churches. Churches are not allergic to conflict. I read this stat this week, and it blew my mind. I don't know if you know this, but worldwide, there are over 40,000 Christian denominations. 40,000. 40,000. In the United States, there's over 200, but 40,000 Christian denominations all over the world. We have a disagreement on something or a verse, and then, okay, I'm going to start my own. Conflict is all around us. Let me just ask this. anyone here ever not been in a relational conflict? All of us have been in some sort of relational conflict. My three-year-old daughter would tell you that she's been in relational conflict. It's all around us. So we know that conflict and broken relationships are part of being a human being. And I would say that for many of us, some of you have even inherited the conflict. It wasn't by your own choosing. But for us as followers of Jesus, it's not about whether or not we're facing conflict in life that matters. It's about how we respond to the conflicts that we face that matters. For us to respond in a way that honors God and honors the people around us, we have to do the hard work of growing up. The hard work of growing up. Paul, as he writes to the Corinthian church, he says, When I was a child... I spoke like a child. When I was a child, I understood like a child. When I was a child, I thought like a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And Paul here is alluding to what we've been covering the last seven weeks of growing from an emotional infant to growing up into an emotional and spiritually mature follower of Jesus. Remember I told you guys the story of Pete Scazzaro and his church. He had a member that came up to him after the series and said, I thought I was a 22-year-old Christian, but I'd been a 1-year-old Christian 22 times over. I remember we had some friends over one day, and we had them over for dinner, and it was kind of a last-minute invite, and so our house was messy, and we got all things cleaned up, and people walked into the house, and they said, wow, your house is so clean. How'd you do it? You have three kids under four, and you have a dog. How's your house so clean? I said, here's a secret. We're really good at throwing stuff in the closet. (laughs) And this is so true of our personal lives. Many of us, on the surface, on the outside, we look clean and presentable. But if someone were to open the closet of your heart, they might find broken relationships, jealousy and envy and resentment, bitterness, ultimately emotions that have been weaponized towards other human beings. So today we're going to do the hard work of allowing God to meet us in the closet where we've stuffed some of those conflicts where well, we've slept under the rug, some of the relational issues, so that we can heal from it and so that we can have a better understanding of how to handle it when we inevitably face it again. Now, this sermon might bring up some triggers for you or, remember, or remind you of some past wounds that you've had. And so I want to invite you, even now as you hear me preach, just invite God to meet you this morning and speak to you very clearly. Broken relationships are a part of life at times, but they don't have to define our lives. God has a better way for us when it comes to the relationships in our lives. For Jesus, a healthy relationships was not, uh, having healthy relationships was not just a part of following him. It was everything. We see this instance where a religious leader, a Pharisee, religious elite, they come and ask Jesus what the greatest commandment is. And we pick this up in Matthew chapter 22, verse 36. It says, this Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Now it seems like there's two parts to this commandment, right? This is the greatest commandment. If you've been at church for more than two or three weeks, you've probably heard us mention this. But Jesus first and foremost says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, all your soul. This religious leader that's asking Jesus this question would have been very familiar with this commandment because it comes out of the Old Testament, out of the book of Deuteronomy. They would have known that it was important for you to love God. But Jesus, as he does many times, as he fulfills the law, and he adds to the old covenant, he says this commandment to love is not just one-dimensional, it's actually two-dimensional. You're not just supposed to love God, you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Now let me de- define what this word neighbor means. It's not just talking about the people that you live in proximity with, the house next to you. It's more of a general word in the Greek. The word there is placeion, and here's what it means. A neighbor is any person irrespective of race or religion with whom we live or whom we have a chance to meet. So it's anyone that we encounter. That's a church, that's H E B. That's in your workplaces, that's in your neighborhoods, that's in the playgrounds that you take your kids to. Anyone that you run into, not just the friendly ones, anyone, that's what a neighbor is. And this passage is so familiar to many of us that we don't even realize the gravity of it, and we don't even realize how complicit we are in failing to do what God has called us to do. Jesus, who he says this to is very important. He's telling this to the religious leaders of the time, the Pharisees. The Pharisees were zealous about their faith. They memorized scripture. They fasted and they prayed and they tithed. But they were also judgmental when it came to people. They criticized people. They didn't love them well. They lacked mercy. They were legalistic. They did a good job at times of trying to accomplish that first part of loving God, but they never really got to the loving other people part. But Jesus here isn't teaching two separate commandments. He's not saying do your best to love God, and if you can just get that, you get 50% on your test. Jesus here is teaching us. That these two commandments are not mutually exclusive, they are interconnected. What Jesus ultimately will go on to show, as we'll talk about this morning, is that your love for God is in many ways measured by your love for your neighbor. But many times, because of conflict and disagreements that we have with the neighbors and the people that we run into, we have a hard time loving them. For far too many of us, there's this distance, this space between us and people, us and family, us and neighbors, us and co-workers. Jesus knew how interconnected our love for God and love for others was. Uh, We're going to jump to the book of Matthew chapter 5, and here Jesus shares what it means to worship God, but what it also means to be reconciled to other people. He says this, therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Jesus here is teaching something so counter, counter to the religious culture of the time and the culture that we find, find ourselves in. Now, what would happen is people at the time, they would go as an act of worship to bring a sacrifice, Now, you couldn't make the sacrifice on your own, but you could bring it. And they would walk into the temple, and you couldn't go all the way into the temple, but you would go to where you could so the priest could take it from there and offer the sacrifice on your behalf. Jesus, think about what Jesus is saying here. When you're in the middle of worship, and you remember that someone might have something against you, drop your sacrifice there, go and be reconciled to them, and then come back. Jesus is flipping their understanding of worship. He says, go back and be reconciled to the person that has something against you. The gift at the altar was their worship to God. Jesus is saying, forget your religious acts of worship. First go and be reconciled. Then come and offer your gift. Think about the importance of healthy relationships here through the perspective of Jesus. Jesus is clear here that religious acts of worship to God is not more important than fixing broken relationships in your life. It means that we should have less people at church on Sunday mornings and more people out on the streets making phone calls. It's so easy for us to get caught up in it. Just that first part. Well, I love God. So we have Bibles full of highlighted verses but conflicts we've never addressed because we're emotional infants. Well, I love God, so we put out worship albums and podcasts, but we don't talk to our siblings. Well, I love God, so we lift our hands and take notes in service, but we ignore the neighbors that we live with. Jesus is showing that they're both interconnected. They're not mutually exclusive. We can't be right with God until we are right with the people that he has placed around us. Think about the gravity of that. Relationships matter. How we live with one another matters. So that friend that you no longer talk to, she says, ah, it's okay, we just don't talk again. She was my bridesmaid one day, and now things have, you know, we've changed. We just don't talk anymore. We had this one conflict. It matters. That son that you're having an issue with, it matters. That Muslim family that you don't think counts as a neighbor that you're supposed to love, it matters. That spouse you keep butting heads with, it matters. Your neighbor that you're angry with because he keeps sweeping grass clippings on your yard, I'm talking to myself, <laughs> it matters. That person from the LGBTQ community that you've made comments about in your Christian friend circles they matter. That church member that you actually have an issue with, but you just say, we're good. We see each other. We say hi to each other. It matters. Relationships matter. They're a part of what it means to know God and to worship God. They're a part of growing up, as Paul said, emotionally and spiritually. It's so easy for us at times to be spiritually focused, but emotionally, we just swept things under the rug. And so here's what I want to do with the 15 minutes that I have left this morning. I want to just give you two keys to maintaining healthy relationships. Two keys to maintaining healthy relationships. And some of these might sound obvious to you, but maybe it's a good reminder to you. But some of these will help some of you, not just today, but long-term. Maintain relationships, because the relationships that you're in, the people that you run into, you'll have disagreements with. Half the room right now has probably voted for the other person. We're always inevitably going to run into disagreements and conflicts. So here's the first key to maintaining healthy relationships. When it comes to conflict, don't run from conflict, run through it. Don't run from it, run through it. Dr. Henry Cloud, he gives this example And it's brilliantly done. He says, we live when it comes to our relationships in two worlds as human beings. In the first world, we maintain our relationships. We keep the status quo. But we never share how we feel with one another. We think that this is being more Christ-like. I don't want to disrupt this relationships. We think this is peacemaking. But it's really peacekeeping. So you say, I'm just going to avoid that. Because otherwise, it's going to get in the way of our relationship. This is, behavior of, this is the behavior of emotional infants. Here are a few examples of how we do this. Take, for example, a husband named Carl. He's upset with his wife for constantly coming home late. Instead of talking about it, he wants to be Christ-like. So he, instead of choosing to talk about it, he's moody and gives her the cold shoulder. Take, for example, Pam, a woman at work. Her employers are bad-mouthing her boss. She wants to say something, but she also is afraid of how her employees will respond to her. She doesn't want to kill the vibe, and so she just goes along with it. Take Yolanda, the young adult that's engaged. She's not sure that she wants to get married in less than two months, but feels the pressure from her fiancé and his family. So instead of talking about it and addressing it to keep the status quo, she sweeps it under the rug. Take Ellen, for example. She loves her parents, but her parents are overtly critical about how she raises her kids. It's starting to wear on her relationship with her husband. In fact, they find themselves every time the parents leave complaining about the parents. They never address it head on because they don't want to hurt their parents' feelings. Emotional infants are more interested in pretending everything is okay rather than true peacemaking. So, in this world of avoiding truth, they maintain their relationships. And this is what Henry Cloud calls connection without truth. They maintain their connections, but they never speak truth. Many of us are in connection without truth relationships this morning. Now, that's one world. The second world that he calls is the truth without connection world. In this world, these are the people that just have always have major conflicts. They tear everybody down and everything up. They can't keep their mouths closed. And so they feel good that they've shared what's on their minds, but when they turn around, there are no friendships, no relationships. It's just them on on their own. God does not want us to live in either of these worlds. There's something better for us. Paul writes in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, he says, Speak the truth in love. So that we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Christ. Think about that. Speak the truth in love so that we will grow to become the mature body of Christ. Again, growing up tied to speaking the truth in love. And so, practically, when you have a conflict with someone, let's take the parents that are overtly critical, for example. You might ask them if your assumption about them are true. Did you mean to say it this way? Peacemakers are the ones that will listen to their perspective. Ask them for clarification. Peacemakers are the ones that will say, this is how that makes us feel. This is how that makes us feel about you. This is what it means to speak the truth in love. Not avoiding it and not speaking it without maintaining relationship. Jesus, he talks about this. He says, if you have issues with people, run from it. No, that's not what he says. Here's what he says, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. If your, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now, let's talk about your brother or sister that sins. Jesus is not saying someone that is in a sin apart from you, so they're struggling with a sin and it's your job to go point it out. No, there's appropriate times for that. But what Jesus is saying, what that verse is really implying by the original language, is if your brother or sister sins against you, if someone does something against you, toward you, if they have wronged you, go and address your issue with them. Healthy relationships mean that we are active, working towards maintaining and addressing. That's what Jesus calls us to do. This is part of growing up emotionally and becoming spiritually mature adults. Let's continue that verse, and here's what he says. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen to even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. All right, there's a lot here to unpack. says, go and point it out. Talk to them. He says, "If if they listen to you, then you've won them over. You've maintained that relationship. If they don't, take a couple of people so they are witnesses. If they still don't, then go to the church. Jesus is showing here over and over an attempt to do our part to maintain relationships. It's not just a one-time thing. Well, I tried talking to them years ago and never worked out. Well, yeah, we had that conversation in the lobby and, you know, I got busy. You know, I tried... Over and over, Jesus is showing the importance of doing our part to maintain relationships. And then, he says, after the third time, if they refuse, and many people take this verse out of context, he says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And so some of us, we say, I've done it three times, they don't matter to me anymore, I'm good, Jesus gave me permission to move on. He says, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Jesus had a disciple who was a tax collector. In fact, he's the one that wrote what we're reading this morning. When he's saying treat them as a pagan or a tax collector, he's saying we don't just abandon them. Now your relationship might look very different if they don't willingly reconcile with you. It takes two to bring reconciliation together. And if they don't do that, you have the opportunity and the right to move forward without them in relationship. But it does not mean that you abandon them. Treat them as a tax collector, which means you pray for them. You view them as someone that needs the grace of God. So you pray over them. You try over and over. Peacemaking is active. When we'll get to why, it matters for us. So that's the first key to maintaining healthy relationships. Don't run from that conflict that you have. Maybe you think of someone this morning that you're in conflict with, someone that you no longer talk to. Run to it. It's in the Bible. It's a command that Jesus gives us. It's part of growing up to be spiritually mature Christians. Here's the second key to maintaining healthy relationships. Don't keep count. Don't keep count. Right after Jesus shares this with the disciples, Peter Would come up to Jesus. And Peter has this great question for Jesus. Here's what he says Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times. So Jesus, in this chapter earlier, and some of what we read, had just talked about what it means to forgive. And he says, Go and talk to them over and over and over. So Peter is asking a very practical question Jesus, when it comes to forgiveness, How many times do I forgive someone that I had conflict with? He says, do I do it seven times? And there's some Jewish laws that says you forgive someone up to three times. And if they don't receive your forgiveness, and if they don't reconcile that relationships, then they are in sin and you can move on. So Peter adds to it. He's like, wait, what about seven times? Is that enough? Jesus answered Matthew 18, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. This is an incredible response from Jesus that kind of goes against common sense. Jesus wasn't saying some, uh, to literally forgive someone seven times, 70 times, but he's making a point that it's an unlimited amount. It's one that you can't even grasp. You just do it over and over again. Some of us are guilty of keeping count when it comes to relationships. Here's the thing, I don't know if this is true in other cultures, but in the Indian culture, here's something that's very true. When you get invited to a wedding, you get invited to the wedding, and out of obligation, you write a check. And so we saw my parents do this all the time. You write a check to that person and to their kids, so they just got married. Now, when you invite them back to your kid's wedding, you're looking if they wrote the same check out. Wait a minute, we gave them 500 bucks, there's only really 200 here. In many ways, you and I were guilty of keeping count with other people. I did this for you that one time. I did it three times with this person, you have no idea. I mean, over and over I tried with this person, they just won't listen so I'm moving on. There's a fine balance here. But what Jesus is teaching is that we don't keep count when it comes to forgiveness. And this is hard, this is difficult. Some of you here this morning have been deeply hurt by other people. I had someone come to me in the lobby a few years ago and they said, how can I forgive him? He abused me. So I don't know what that feels like, but there's a burden that you're carrying 20 years later. Forgiveness, it's not you letting that person off the hook forgiveness is you releasing that burden off of yourself choosing to not forgive keeps that burden on you so Jesus says, Peter asked Jesus how many times over and over and over, this brings up all sorts of questions for us, what about justice, how can we thrive in communities when we're supposed to forgive an unlimited amount of times Here's what I've come to understand in my walk with Jesus. I cannot forgive someone that has deeply hurt me unless I have truly understood that Jesus has forgiven me of offenses far greater than the offenses committed towards me. Here's what I mean by that. I've never murdered someone. I've never abused someone. But Jesus has forgiven me of offenses far greater. There is a holy God that has loved me is patient with me and kind with me. And over and over in my life, I've turned my back on him. There is no offense greater than that. And the Bible says that there is not one that has a perfect track record when it comes to God. For all have sinned. So when we forgive others, It requires that we truly understand that God has done exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. He's protected us. He's guided us. He's loved us unconditionally. He's given us life not just here but forever. He's picked us up, put us, our feet on solid ground. And he's had mercy on us. And Jesus is saying, go and do everything I've done for you to that person that you're in conflict. Some of us are still thinking, there's got to be a limit, right? Do we forgive the person that's on death row? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The answer from Jesus through his teaching in Scripture is a resounding note. No. Because all of us are guilty of committing offenses far greater than ones that you and I will ever need to forgive because God has forgiven humanity of offenses over and over and over. And it might sound harsh or it might sound difficult, and I'm trying to walk this line as a pastor. Some of you have people that have abused you. Some of you, there's been people that have caused death in your families. There's been tragedy story of the Bible though, the story of a God who continues to be with his people despite them turning their backs on him over and over. So forgiveness always comes, as Tim Keller says, at the cost of the one granting forgiveness. For some of you, forgiving another person is a way of suffering for Jesus. Forgiving another person is you carrying a burden, but it's also you releasing a burden of what they've done to you. Jesus ultimately teaches us that we have not fully grasped the gospel, the mercy of God, if we are unable to forgive others. Love God, love neighbor. Can't separate the two. It's on the cross, Jesus is united. A person that you're in conflict with, the God of the universe died for them. They're an image bearer of God. God has united each and every single one of us back to him. He died for the sins of humanity, whether they're black or white or American or Indian or Palestinian or Israeli, he has reconciled all people back to himself. So we, as followers of Jesus, are called to do the deep work of mending the relationships because there is a God who has mended our relationships with him and with each other. To be emotional adults, we don't run from him, we run through it. So this morning, some of you have some deep work ahead of you of forgiving people. Maybe even asking Jesus, what next step do I take? For others of you, and for many of us though, our legacies are like the battle of the war of the oaken bucket. We fight over silly things. You have broken relationships over silly things. You don't talk to people because of politics. You don't talk to family members because of that one comment that they made. Don't let your legacy be that you have started emotional wars over trivial matters. Before we close, I want us to end in a moment of silence. Before we do that, let me read this to you. The Apostle Paul in the book of Romans chapter 12, he says this. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Do not, overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want to invite you to just take a moment. Would you get yourself into a posture of just sitting in silence for a minute and then we're going to sing a song together. I want to invite you to close your eyes as you do that. If you're willing and able, you just open your hands in front of you as a posture of receiving from God, as a posture of openness. Say, God, the burdens that I carry this morning, the conflict that I'm in, that relationship from 20 years ago, that friend that I no longer speak to today, that child I no longer speak to from a few weeks ago, God, I hold it all open-handed. Would you speak to me? Would you examine the deep, dark parts of my heart and reveal to me the areas where I have refused to love the people around me? Jesus, we thank you. You don't ask us to step into anything that you yourself have not done. We thank you first and foremost for the cross where you've forgiven us, where you loved us. Despite our inability to love you back at times. We just take simple, small steps to extend the same level of love and mercy, kindness you've extended to us, to the people around us. May we not run from conflict. May we be able to speak the truth in love. May we not keep count. May we forgive over and over. May we release the burdens that we carry from harm that people have done to us. The burdens that we carry from the harm that churches have done to us families have done to us, friends have done to us. May we release those burdens. May we not carry them any longer. May we live as freed people who are marked by a God who has forgiven us so that we in return forgive others. I thank you for your goodness. For your goodness is the standard that we follow. Your goodness is the way in which we walk as well. Thank you that you pursue us. God, we pray you bring healing to broken relationships and conflicts this morning. Holy Spirit, would you do a deep work in your people, not just today but tomorrow, the day after, the week after when they're triggered again by that person. Would you do a healing work that's sustained only by your presence as you call us to be more like you daily. I thank you for this moment. It's in your precious name we pray. And the church said,